Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Back before podcasts existed, indeed, back before there was even an internet, thugs with shotguns burst into the village shop, taking the lovely Betty, clever Debbie, rich businessman Jack, and the waste of space that is Kate Aldridge hostage. One of the gun-toting raiders was the evil Clive Horribin, rumoured to be the son of not the layabout Bert, but of Darth Vader himself. Clive Skywalking Vader became a fugitive after this epic siege. His whereabouts shrouded in mystery as he was hidden and given succour by his sister Susan Carter, the high priestess of gossip from the dairy in the village shop. Fortunately, Clive was eventually captured and brought to justice at Her Majesty's pleasure. Sadly, prison was not strong enough to contain the pure evil that was Clive Skywalking Vader, and he eventually escaped. And once freed, his hatred of our picturesque village quickly became manifest in devilish form. For reasons that are now lost in the dark midst of time and the many plot lines that have befallen our beloved Ambridge over its 66 years of broadcasting, he turned his deathly eye onto the saintly George Barford, he who was a noble soul and husband of Christine. On one fateful night upon release from bondage, Clive Skywalking Vader Horribin firebombed the Barford's home, the old police house, leaving George and Chris homeless and bereft of all possessions. All they had left was each other, and noble George supported Christine throughout this terrible ordeal until his untimely death, which sadly left her a widow. We can only speculate about how this story would have ended had they simply installed an ADT smoke detector. Would they have been alerted to the raging inferno sooner? Could they have saved their home and the contents therein before the flames of Vader destroyed everything which they held dear? Some believe it was the strain of the incident that caused George's untimely demise just one year after the fire. Some say you can't put a price on a life, but you can put a price on an ADT smoke detector. And guess what? They start from as little as 7p a day. Some say that's a small price to pay. Hello there, Dumpty Dum. We are Hello. with the Hay Bales. <laughs> We've decided as our pseudonym and we have listened to the podcast for several months now, but this is our first time as a caller in era, so we have a Dumpty Dum for you. Yes. Ready? There we go. <laughs>
This is Dum Dee Dum, the show about the reality talkie drama that is centered on Amridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm the pristine Royal Worcester porcelain jug that is Royfield Brown, and with me have the catering crockery seconds that is... Angela Barnes. And the last part of our Greek crockery smashing party, folks, is you. Now, this week's Dum Dee Dum is from Hay Bales. Lovely duo, aren't they? Lovely. Yeah, they sounded a bit posh to me. They did, didn't they? They were terribly, terribly... They sounded like uh, Ambridge youth, I'd say. Absolutely, absolutely. Though, it was good to have a couple doing a dum-de-dum. Yeah, what a great idea. Yeah. More of those. A- absolutely. So if you're if you're in a couple... Now, it doesn't have to be um, a heterosexual couple. It can be whatever... Co- it can... Oh, you know what, Angela? It could even be like... It could be a um, you know what? That's so right. Why am I being so heteronormative? Just yeah. like, mix it up, folks. It could even be like mother and son, father and daughter, or father. I just send them in. That's what we want. Pairings. Interesting pairings. Well, you just said a threesome. So why stop? Why stop at just a pairing? We we, we want groupings. That's what we want. We want groupings of people to come together, do a dum de dum, and commune because that's lovely. But Angela. If somebody wants to take us up with our offer of coupling or doing a pairing or any kind of grouping with a dum dum how can they do that? If you'd like to sing us a dum dum leave us a plot prediction, call us on 0203-031-3105 or leave us a message on SpeakPipe. Thanks to Cosmo for his podcast roundups and doing the Dumpty Dogs and to Derek for the loan of the back bedroom. I've always wanted to say that, Royfield. I'm so happy. Hey. Um, also, we we got to thank Sandwiches uh, because she does the rather good ADT advert at the start of the show. She's awesome. Ooh. Yes. Um, so thank you, Sandwiches. On this week's episode, we have views from Maeve. Oh, I love you, Maeve. You're back. Who's got Maeve n- impressed? Yeah, exactly. Who's got no love for the Grundies? You're in good company this week, Maeve. With a spoon, who likens Matt and Justin's war to a uh, skit from mad comic dusty substances who likes grief when it's well directed Catherine Kavanagh who believes that love and money don't mix hay bales oh they're back who are frustrated by the rich old ladies of Ambridge blithe spirit who wonders when Jill became such a social justice warrior Claire Asprey who gets into the weeds with housing the Sussex Shepherd who is a friend of Fraser and Abby from Brighton, who has questions about Woodbine. But first, folks, before all of that, top of the shop, best bit of the show, it's Angela Barnes' week in Ambridge. Well, Royford, emotions are running high this week in Ambridge, beginning with Clary's frustration with Eddie after he'd, inverted commas, forgotten to cancel their latest guest, the Rigbys, in the same way that he's forgotten to file a tax return for the last 30 years. Mm. But it'll be fine, because in a plot signpost so big you can see it from space, the Rigbys leave on Friday and Oliver arrives on Saturday. So bish, bash, bosh, what could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Now, as if Rory hasn't had a hard enough start in life, he now has Ruth as his advocate in home farm (laughs) decision-making. A woman so indecisive she had to go to New Zealand to decide whether she can still stomach her family or not. Mm. That's New Zealand, 26 hours away. Toby Fairbrothers had relationships shorter than that. (laughs) It seems home farm are making a decision on whether to invest in a forage harvester, which I initially thought was the name of the Duxford's new restaurant. 
Before the meeting, Brian phoned Ruth and Adam emailed her to get their two pennies in, while Alice and Kate, like the rest of us, apparently couldn't give a toss. Ruth <laughs> agreed with Brian in the end that they shouldn't purchase the equipment, but she stood up to him, making it clear that she was acting in Rory's best interests, and that if he doesn't back off, she will drive him to a service station and let nature take its course. <laughs> so... In a move we definitely didn't see coming a mile off, Oliver calls Shula to let her know that he will be arriving earlier than planned. This is after a cancellation at the Italian crematorium. Apparently, a family opted to have their loved one cured into a nice bit of prosciutto instead of cremated. <laughs> so now the can be done a couple of days earlier. After finding out that Fallon and Harassment are looking to buy, Auntie Cardboard decides to sell Woodbine Cottage, as being a landlady is too much like hard work. This from a woman who manages to put up with Peggy Woolley every day. She offers <laughs> Fallon and Harrisman first refusal, but Tory cuts to public sector pay means that Harrisman can't even afford a calculator and is apparently trying to work out their finances on the back <laughs> of the Don't worry, Harrison. I hear that Borsetshire Police are introducing body cams for all officers soon, so at least you'll be able to supplement your income with you've been framed. <laughs> Matt Crawford held his Investors Day at Gay Grables to be attended by the great and good from across the Midlands. Yes, they'll all be there. Adrian Childs, Jasper Carrot, Royfield Brown. That's it. Hey. It happens that the Witches of Ambridgewick were also there to celebrate Jack Woolley's birthday, holding a, what I like to call, tenor lady lunch. <laughs> it's lovely that Jill and Christine still get together on Jack's birthday for some passive aggression and a bit of cheesecake. Christine tells Peggy she's thinking of selling Woodbine Cottage and planning to stay living with her. Unless you'd like me to move out, she says, to which Peggy replies, Not at all, dear, in a voice about as convincing as Lillian's forehead after a trip to London. <laughs> Alan and Shula discuss Caroline's memorial arrangements. Saint Shula wrings her hands while trying to explain to Alan that as Caroline was an atheist, rather than a service at St Stephen's, maybe it'd be more appropriate to have a sacrificial offering to the Dark Lord in a pentangle drawn on Lakey Hill. <laughs> Alan couldn't officiate, but she'll ring her contact to see if Ozzy Osbourne might be free to conduct <laughs> the ceremony. It's what Caroline would have wanted. Christine pops into the village shop for some loose-leaf tea for Peggy that Susan apparently keeps under the counter, alongside Brian's Viagra and Roy's subscription to White Power Monthly. <laughs> Christine tells Susan she is surprised by the amount that her cottage turns out to be worth, but not as surprised as we were to hear that there are any original features left after the place has been firebombed and flooded. What's Woodbine Cottage made of? Titanium? <laughs> I, for one, am happy to see Auntie Cardboard starting to get some storylines. I was starting to look at her like I look at a waiter in Nando's. I don't mind you being there, but what are you for? Anisha, <laughs> who seems to spend more time running than Paula Radcliffe does, is out for a run with Alice, admits that she thinks that Rex is funny, kind and fit. It's amazing how your standards drop after a few months in a village without a sniff. She goes for a run with Rex eventually, and he reassures her that nothing happened after his birthday with the Staffordshire pottery-loving girl, despite her sounding like a right-goer. He said he might call her again, but only to give her a heads-up about a rare 72-piece jug he's just got. <laughs> so, Anisha and Rex end up doing it under the watchful eye of her grandmother's wall clock. And they do it after a run. That really got on my nerves. I mean, I know what I look like after exercise. The last thing I want to do is that. I don't even want to do it if I've had to climb the stairs first. 
Swampy Jill's crusade against food waste continues apace at the fate meeting. I can't help finding it a little hypocritical when you think of how many of her manky old Victoria sponges have been sent to landfill after being displayed at <laughs> flower and produce shows over the years. <laughs> there you go. Her speech, however, falls on deaf ears as people at the fate committee are much more concerned about pressing issues such as the cricket team human fruit machine. I expect the village will be queuing <laughs> round the block to nudge Will Grundy and hold Harrisman's plums. <laughs> the solution, of course, is staring them all in the face. There's a new pig unit and a new restaurant with food waste. Feed the pigs the waste and Jill can go back to baking and pick a battle worth fighting for. But a despondent Jill chats to Ruth, who listens sympathetically. That is, until she realises that Jill has been neglecting her Brookfield duties. There's no cake left for Ruth. Jill tells her in no uncertain terms that there are more things in life than filling the Brookfield cake tin. Da, da, da. The Brookfield <laughs> cake tin is empty. I repeat, the Brookfield cake tin is empty. The ravens have left the tower. This is a portent darker than one of Auntie Cardboard's burnt scones. Social justice warrior Kirsty, well, social, social justice warrior until she needs somewhere to live, then she's happy to move in with convicted racist Brexiteer Roy. Kirsty tells Jill that some shadowy friends are planning some sort of protest action against the dreaded Duxford sisters. Jill starts pulling on her balaclava when Kirsty stops her with a, aren't you a bit old for direct political action? And Jill rightly puts her in her place. Where do these young people get off thinking anyone over 40 is invisible? The other day, I flipped out at a man flying outside a nightclub because he flyered my younger friend and didn't fly me. Fly me. I was incandescent with rage. I said to him, how dare you? How dare you not give me a flyer? I might want to dance the night away. How dare you make that judgment about me? I snatched a flyer out of his hand, walked around the corner, and only then I realised it was a flyer about checking your testicles. But still... <laughs> Anyway, Jill is adamant she's going to join in the fake protest, so I've put a fiver on her turning up in a t-shirt that says there's more to life than fresh coffee and lemon drizzle cake before doing an Emily Davison and throwing herself under a pair of coconut shells. Meanwhile, Kirsty had conveniently forgotten that she'd organised an English lesson with Lexi, an English lesson for a woman who speaks English better than any Grundy ever has. <laughs> Don't worry, she said as she went out the door, Roy will chat with you. And Roy and Lexi surprisingly bond over a shared love of Stephen King novels. It's looking like he may be planning to add her to his infamous spreadsheet. Kirsty mocks him for it, but you know what? It's a good idea. I kept a spreadsheet when I was dating because you meet some glorious losers. You have to keep track of that stuff. You know, I went on a few dates with a guy who, when I eventually took him home, wanted to cover me with toothpaste. He'd even brought his own toothpaste. It wasn't the cheap stuff. It was Oral B. <laughs> my spreadsheet. Despite Roy's Brexity ways, I think he and Lexi as a couple makes total sense. Let us not forget that Nigel Farage himself had a German wife. It's a way of UKIPers really showing their commitment to screwing Europe. <laughs> Finally this week, dear Oliver arrives back in the village, clutching Caroline's remains and a dignified rucksack on his lap. Apparently the air stewardess made him pop her in the overhead locker. Now if he'd wanted to keep her close, if there's one thing I've learned from watching endless episodes of Nothing to Declare, it's that he should have bagged her up and swallowed her. <laughs> in the meantime, the Grundies... That's a bit cruel, that, isn't it? Never mind. In the meantime, the Grundies are in a panic because their guests have gone and broken Caroline's jug, a jug she loved so much that when she moved out, she left it on a shelf of a house she was renting out to the Grundies. <laughs> Inevitably, Oliver pops over to Grange Farm when Eddie and Clary are out buying glue, and when they return, he finally gives them what for. 
The Grundies try a bit of groveling and in a metaphor so heavy-handed that I still have the bruises to show for it, Oliver tells them that it's not about the jug and smashes it to the floor. And Eddie's been so insensitive recently, I half expected him at that point to say, blimey, Oliver, I thought you'd been to Italy, not Greece. <laughs> well done, you. That, that was much better than last week. Oh, so. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how dare you? She'll, Lucy will be up in arms. Listen, that was a tour de force. There was there was oh. no plot line left un, unmonologued by you this week. Ah, oh, thank you. Huzzah. But, you know, let's just put the archers to one side. Yeah. Toothpaste. He wanted to cover you in toothpaste. Now, yeah. take us all back to that date. Go. Well, well... It, it wasn't our first date. I'm not that sort of girl, Royfield. It was a few days ago. <laughs> but yeah, he said uh, during, you know, things had started moving along a bit. And he said, mm. do you mind if I cover you in toothpaste? And of course, my first thought was toothpaste has a bit of a deep heat quality to it, if you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, no, you're all right, thanks. Uh, he said, I brought some. I said, I what? And that was pretty, I, needless to say, I did not see him again. So, but, yeah. So, how would, did he want to apply the toothpaste? With his toothbrush? Or was he just going to squirt it straight from I the tube? I get as far as finding out if he brought a toothbrush, Royfield. Um, no, this, this is excruciatingly embarrassing. I'm really glad we brought this up. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking about excruci- excruciatingly embarrassing, Rex and Anisha. Oh, dear. Please. Oh, please. He has okay. It wasn't a date, but with some boring woman who collects yeah. Staffordshire porcelain. Yeah. Like, to hear the others talking about her when he went home with her, you'd think she was some harpy that he'd picked up in the pub. Absolutely. And then she sounded like she was a friend of Peggy Archer. She's collecting yeah. Staffordshire porcelain. It's like, come on. And then, yeah. uh, would you like to come in for coffee? Coffee. Ugh. Yeah, that would be nice. Come on now. Oh, I've got a bit of sick in my mouth, Roy. <laughs> Considering this was a woman who a month ago said she ate men like Matt Crawford for breakfast. Yeah. I don't understand her. And then they do it, right? They do mm. it. And she's all, oh, I don't want anything serious. But she was the one who was all jealous about the other. And when he. She's trouble. Well, she said that. Well, she did. She did. To be fair to her, she said, I'm all over the place, mate. Right. Now, he's about to pull his kegs on. Right. And she goes, where are you going? And he says, I'm going home. She goes, well, why don't you stop here? She's all over the place. Are you the type of woman that sends out mixed messages? You know, are are you the type of woman, Angela, that gets a man to come back to hers, you know, a couple of times, and then comes back for the third time, he wants to bring his toothpaste round. <laughs> and then you... toothpaste, they can stay as long as they like, Roy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they can bring toothpaste, but not for what he wanted to use it for. Um, I hate game playing. I can't bear it. I was never any good at it, and I couldn't. It's just life's too short. It's just say what you want, and if they don't want the same thing, then move on. It's really but, simple. But I suppose the question is, how quickly do you say what you want? You know, well, there I... are social mores and norms, and you know, and uh... yeah, yeah. and when you're younger, it's different, I suppose, because you don't know what you want, do you? Like, I met my partner when I was in my late thirties, so by that point, I knew what I wanted, and so did he. Mm. You know, we were both in our late thirties, so it was kind of. Okay, but let, 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 let's go close to the knuckle here, Angela Barnes. Okay. Right, so 
you know no. what you want. First yeah. date, do you say you're coming back? You no. know what you want. No. No. I so don't, I, you do I believe in a certain amount of, some might call it game playing, some might call it, you know, d- social conventions. Maybe more social conventions, or just that I, you know, if you're, I, I, I met my fellow on the internet, right? If you're doing internet dating, you don't know anything about these people. So to bring them into my house after the first date feels very risky. Well, so what do you do? Do you go around to like a, a Hotel Ibis instead? <laughs> <laughs> I am a good girl. <laughs> I, you know, you've got to get to know someone a bit first. Make sure they're probably not a psychopath before you, you know. Or I do, anyway. Maybe I'm too fussy. But you could have, like, an incredibly long date. You could, like, go for a... You say, I'll meet you for a coffee at, like, 9.30. And right. that date could last all day. You know, you could go and have a nice walk. You could go to the pictures. You could have lunch. You could have... Um, you have three dates in one, so then you can definitely take them home. There, that's that's really where I was going. Right, yeah. So by, by 11 o'clock, you both poop. There's only one way to take this thing. Yeah, maybe. I meant 11 a.m., by the way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I have my suspicions you're a fast mover, but I don't think you're fast. <laughs> now, we've got a bazillion, gajillion load of calls. So here we go to the caller in, us. Lovely. Hello, Ambridge3962. First up, we've got Maeve. Hello, everybody. It's Maeve here from In The Big Press. I haven't been listening much of late. However, I did catch the episode where Oliver came to Grange Farm and... uh, uh, confronted Eddie and Clary. Oh, you know what? I felt so sorry for Oliver. Um, such a kind man, such a really, really nice guy who has given more uh, to the Grundies um, than he than they absolutely deserve. What the Grundies have done is they've trashed his house, they have abused his hospitality, and then they try to justify it. Um, so yeah, they should. They deserve to be kicked out of Grange Farm on their big fat arses. And you know what? I'd really like the ep- to listen to the episode where they go along to Felpersham Council homelessness and they are told that they've made themselves intentionally homeless so therefore cannot be rehoused. So off to live in a caravan in a field um, with all the crap and all the rest of it that they have um, filled Grange Farm with. So yes, yeah, so I have no sympathy whatsoever for them. Um, they're a bunch of freeloaders and uh, yeah, they deserve all they get. Poor Oliver, you know, get your industrial cleaners in there. You know, get the house completely fumigated and move back in. Um, what a share of ships those Grundies are. Okay, ciao, bye bye. Hello, it's Dusty Substances here, the wrong sort of listener. I just wanted to say that um, of all the um, sort of post Caroline scenes, the one that has moved me more is. Oliver losing it big time with the Grundies. Uh, it, it, it is just those little things that set you off, isn't it? The added bonus, of course, being that uh, he blasted out the Grundies. And I have waited probably about 30-odd mm, years for someone to blast out the Grundies. So uh, grief well directed, I would say there, Oliver, well done. And I don't I don't look forward to everything being smoothed over and, and the Grundies staying uh, put. I would I would really like them to have to go and 
and not rely on the charity of someone else. I mean, I think with all the jobs they're doing, they should be able to afford a bit more than clearly they do. Um, well aware of uh, the difficulty of finding places, but um, no, I, I think they should uh, pay the price of Eddie's uh, bad judgment and, and underhand way of carrying on. He's, he's, he really deserves it. And I think Clary does a bit as well for putting up with it and not putting her foot down earlier. So on a, a remarkably uncharitable note, uh, it's goodbye from me and love to everyone. Um, what do you reckon to Paul Oliver's mental state this week, Angela? I think, I mean, hats off to Michael Cochran, who plays Oliver, I think, this mm-hmm. week. I think a little round of applause for him, because that was yep. lovely. Because when he first got, we, we knew something was coming, didn't we? He was too jolly when he got back. And, yep. and, and he, just a little bit too business-like about the whole thing. Absolutely. And, you know, that conversation he had in the car with Shula when uh, you could tell she was concerned and he was just sort of like, oh, no, you know, it's all going to be fine. She died the way she lived. And da, 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 da. and so we knew something was coming. And um, and let's be honest, the Grundies had it coming, really. Absolutely. Um, and that that scene was incredible. I don't know who wrote it, but that was a great bit of writing. I thought that scene. I mean, it was it was quite heavy handed. It was the metaphors were shouted from the rooftops. But but um, what you know, of course, it's always something seemingly innocuous that gets you when you're grieving. You know, I remember when my dad died. You plow on and you plow on, and then it's something silly mm-hmm. that just knocks you over the edge. Always is, always is, and uh, you know, it was well, the smashing of the jug. And it's not about the jug, you know. But yeah. um... what what I loved about that scene was actually that we had some raw emotion actually in the archers because um, if we take um, Helen and Rob completely out of things, mm. when people lose their shit, it's always off mic, and yeah. you're you know it's a case of I'll have words with you. Da, 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 or cut yeah. to, to, to another scene so actually to hear some real visceral raw emotion was good and, I, and my stomach was knotted for the even though I think you know the Grundy's got what was coming to them you know when they spot that Oliver's there you're just feeling what they're feeling and that oh my god how are we gonna hmm. we've been caught out you know how are you really well, like, how is this gonna play out and um yeah, it was a really, really well done scene, I thought. Yeah. I've always had a soft spot for for the Grundies because, yeah. you know, I see them as, you know, the downtrodden proletarian rural masses and yeah. um, you know, me being um, the big lefty that I am, I've, I've got to support such people. But I did what? say to myself, Eddie, why didn't you just call oliver and ask if it would be all right because it's not exactly a slam dunk that they say, say absolutely no at all yeah there's a lot on twitter about that scene i think and about how it was the um you know typical upper class and and the lower class in the countryside and how that dynamic works and i thought there's more to it than that because yeah i am usually on the grundy side and i do feel sorry for them they're scraping to make a living in a difficult uh, time in a difficult world but you know, there's no doubt about it, Eddie's behaved really badly. Mm. He has, and there was no reason to with this, I no. don't think. You know, no. he, he did say we had some friends over, so that's a bit of a white lie. So they had the friends over, which were really paying guests. It went well. He should have just said, can we do this? And maybe, you know, and, 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 being, and Eddie being Eddie, what he should, what he probably would have said was, 
uh, I, 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 I we'll cut you in on a little bit. And of yeah. course, the Sterlings would have said, don't be no. silly. It's fine. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe they would have said, just do it X amount of days a year or whatever, etc., etc. But I didn't really see the problem with just telling them. But... I think the Sterlings would have been fine because they... They want Eddie to make a living so he can pay their rent, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So if that's the only way he can make the rent, as long as they, you know, had an arrangement whereby everything was cleaned and, you know, things were, they looked after the place, I don't think they would have had a problem with them doing a bit of Airbnb. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. Right. Should we do Witherspoon now? Yes, let's do Witherspoon. All right. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling Tossed salads and scrambled eggs Mercy Greetings, Lucy Royfield, Yoko Bear, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here, contemplating Clary's final words of the week. Is the relationship between the Grundys and Oliver permanently damaged? And how damaged is the relationship between Lillian and Justin? Okay, Lucy, my eyes have been opened to Justin's obsession about destroying Matt. Well, because he said as much. Justin and Matt's relationship reminds me of the old Mad Magazine spoof between the U.S. and the U.S are in the cartoon Spy vs. Spy. If you're not familiar with it, go and Google it. However, Matt remains the greater Nogudski. Another cultural reference point. In his attempts to swindle money out of Christine, I can certainly see Matt belting out a song or two as Max Bialystok in The Producers. Speaking of Christine, here's my take-home point of the week, no pun intended, and it's thanks to the latest Dumpty Dum sponsor. Poor Christine lost her home and eventually her husband due to the evil behavior of Susan's brother Clive. So here's Christine now trying to sell her current house, and Susan was being, at the very least, mean and rude to her. I could see Susan in the shop talking to a potential buyer who strolled in to learn more about the village, trying to undercut the sale by going on about the flood and the damage to Christine's house. Susan is more frequently crossing the line of being merely the village busybody to being someone who acts underhandedly because of her envy and jealousy of others who are more financially successful than she is. The Harbin DNA emerges. Susan, be happy for what you have, and remind me never to share any personal information with you or to invite you to the next party I throw in Ambridge. But rest assured, all Dumpty Dummers will be invited. Talk to you soon. Matt and Justin are at war. Mm. Mm. Oh, that was, I really enjoyed that. I'm Team Matt. Are you Team Matt? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we are seeing that ruthless side to Justin now, aren't we? You know, yeah. like he's going to be like a dog with a bone. And there's got to be some kind of literary metaphor, which he just lost on me, considering I only read Marvel comics and not proper books and stuff. <laughs> you know, there's been some some antagonists in some Bronte novel or in within Shakespeare, <laughs> which... I am not the person to ask about really? that. Really? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it, there's got there's got to be something. And, yeah. um, and I, you know what? What is delicious about this is that it's two silver foxes going after um our Lillian absolutely I love Lillian is my I make no secret the fact Lillian's my favorite character I love Mm. Lillian because she's older and she's naughty and she drinks and she smokes and she doesn't care 
Um, and I absolutely, she's my role model. I want to grow into Lillian Bellamy. That's, and, and her and Matt just works, you know, it's, there was part of me when she first got together with Justin, there was part of me was like, oh, this could be really nice. Maybe it's what Lillian, you know, if Lillian's happy and settled and that makes her happy, then it makes me happy. But as soon as I heard that, hello, cat, it was like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, that's, that's more like it. That's what Lillian needs in her life. She thrives on the drama. You know, and, and, and she won't put up with, something will happen. My my prediction is, in some way, I think Matt's going to get hurt. Julian's, uh, Julian? Who's Julian? Justin is going to do something that, end, like, either his car, have a car accident, or something's going to happen, and it will be Matt's bedside that Lillian goes to. Mm. I, I think you're right there, Miss Barnes. I don't know if it's going to involve um, an RTA, so to speak, but... Mm. I can see that Justin is out to wreck Matt and it's going to turn our Lillian off him, his relentlessness about it. Absolutely. Well, Lillian's already, you know, you can already see her starting to, those cracks are showing in her feelings for Matt, you know. You can already see it. When she fell off the horse and he was there and um, she didn't tell Justin that Matt had been there and all those little things, they're still, it won't take long for them to come to the fore and she'll realise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right now, how's about a little bit of Catherine Kavanagh now? Because uh, we're going to move on from Justin and Matt and uh, have a little bit of Fallon and harassment. Lovely. Hi everyone, it's Catherine Kavanagh here. I haven't phoned in in quite a long time now. I, I don't think at Kavanagh CK on Twitter. Um, I wanted just to address something that's come up over the past week, which actually I think is a really, really salient point made by the scriptwriters. And it's all about Fallon and Harrisman, or whatever his name is, Harrisman, Harrison, and this issue about the money for the house. I totally, totally get where she's coming from. Money is at the heart of most relationship disputes, and it really dictates the terms on which a relationship is run or based. And if one of the two is earning much more or has much more, it just tips the balance. So speaking as somebody who would feel very similar to Fallon with the situation, the same for me, I can just say I totally get where she's coming from, really empathise with it, and actually think it's an unusually um, prescient and insightful bit of writing by the scriptwriters. I know that virtually everyone else on Twitter disagrees with me, and that's grand. Hope you're all well, and I love Naked Fingers. I am your stalking Uber fan. Lots of love. Bye. Now, where do you stand on all of this? Now, you've just you and your bloke live together now, don't you? We do. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I've kind of got feelings and, and thoughts about this, but right. I don't really agree with one iota what Miss Kavanagh says here. Right. I can't. I'm slightly old-fashioned in that if you love someone and you're moving in together invariably one person's going to earn more than the other surely being part of a loving relationship is sometimes being able to carry the other and then them supporting you in other ways and that's what a relationship's all about exactly and i think if you're planning to spend a, a lifetime with someone those things you know will what goes around comes around you know so at some points it may be that i financially support my partner and other points it might be that he financially has to support me a bit more you know it depends on where you're at in your life and but those things but if you've made a decision to be a partnership as far as I'm concerned that that's what that means absolutely you know 
pool resources, don't you? And mm. I know there is a you know a cynical part of all of us that is well relationships these days don't last forever. And but if you're going into it thinking that, it just feels a bit sad. Well, I think if you go into it saying it's not going to last forever, it absolutely won't. You've got to have the hope that it, you know. No, absolutely, absolutely. And we live in times, I think, where we all believe that men and women should be equal. Yeah. Definitely at home, in the workplace. And they're not. They're not. That, for the most part, women still earn less than men. And... Yes, BC, if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) Goodness. I shouldn't bite the hand that feeds me. I didn't say that, that. That was timely. So, did you make it onto that list? You're right. I work with radio, Roy of course not. What do you mean? Chris Evans works in radio and he's bloody well on that list, isn't he? Mm. True enough, yeah. I don't think Radio 4 Extra's quite got the same. Uh... <laughs> well, you One know, just looking at this, right, there is. But the truth of the matter is. In the 20 to 30% of relationships, heterosexual relationships, let's be clear because we know we have lots of gay listeners, heterosexual relationships, where the woman earns more than the man, they're more likely to fail. Even in, you know, this, this age where we are striving for equality, that embedded within us still is the fact that the man should be the bread earner. Is, is that an actual fact? That absolute actual... fact, absolute fact. Because um, I kind of knew this and I did a little bit of a, a Google. Studies have shown that men in marriages, let's say relationships, where the woman earns more, are the woman is more likely to cheat, the man is more likely to need drugs for erectile dysfunction, they're more likely to break up and get divorced, statistically speaking. So our ideas on how this deep-seated within us, this cultural norm that the man is the hunter and is the provider. got to be changing, though, hasn't it, with future generations? Because it's just... Well, you, you, I mean, you would hope so. You would hope so. But where we are in 2017... Now, looking at this, wow. today, women out-earn their partners, heterosexual women, in 29% yeah. of marriages where both partners work and in 38% of marriages overall. But still, really, those relationships are less likely to last. So all I hear when I hear those statistics is, well, that should be 50%. Listen, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> As I said at the start of this, yeah, our sisters are still downtrodden and, and begotten. So I'm, I'm not saying Wait. that. But still, the interesting thing is, is that those relationships are still less likely to work and the men need some chemical help to get it up wow well let me tell you i mean my boyfriend matt is Mm -hmm. um if he listens to this he i mean he can't wait to the day that he can give up working and be a kept man i know that um you know he said when are you going to get a dvd out so i can give up work you know so (laughs) he's certainly not one of that statistic but um yeah that's really that's kind of depressed me royfield a bit it's absolutely depressing yeah, mm. yeah. But hopefully that's just because it's it's been so deep-rooted in our psyche for so many centuries that it will eventually, that'll change, well, I hope. Let, let, let's hope that it does. So anyway, yeah. Catherine Kavanagh, um, we disagree with you, but, but maybe you're onto something, don't know. Um, let's go to the hay bales. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
We've also just had to pause the archers because we're furious. Absolutely outraged. (laughs) A Jill flipping archer and her and her comment that oh oh Fallon and Harrison very very comfortable in Woodbine. They're very settled. Why are they thinking of moving? Why aren't they telling you? Because they're renting. Exactly. Why should why should they have to? Why should they? You might be settled somewhere. Well, you don't want to stay there, paying lots of rent in an enormous wealth transfer to Christine. Exactly, and a sprawling property. <laughs> yeah. You have all these rich, rich old women there, just talking, talking about women property. And how, oh, they really should have told it, told you as their landlady, but they might not find anywhere. I think this particularly hits home for us because we've been in a very similar situation recently. We have. We've been renting. And uh, still renting now, but still, you know, just made us furious. Anyway, probably best go now. Hi. <laughs> Goodbye. What was all this nonsense? Where Jill basically says to Chris, "Why didn't your tenant? Why didn't your tenants tell you that they were going to move out?" And they do live in another world, don't they? That there's they really old biddies. If I was looking to move, I wouldn't tell my landlady until I definitely got somewhere to move to. Absolutely. It almost feels like there's some level of noblesse oblige going on. You know, so it's the, you know the landed castes and the poor peasants ha- having to inform the squire what, what, what's going on. You know, yeah, I just... every time you think about doing something, you'd be on the phone all the time, wouldn't you? Every day I think about moving. Every day I think about changing my life. If I had to phone my landlady every time I did that, never be off the phone (laughs) absolutely but you know hay bales that it's lovely to have them on the show angela but what do they forget to do what do they forget to do they forgot to tell us what they do for a living absolutely they forgot to tell us uh what they are in terms of archers listeners Mm -hmm. yeah what's the other thing i know there's another thing isn't there uh your archers vintage uh what you do for a living oh that'll do Right, it, it is a poor show. It is a poor show, hey, Bales. <laughs> It'll have to call back and fill us in. Absolutely, absolutely. I won't be able to sleep if I know what they do for a living. Blythe spirit. Hello, Dumpty Dum Blythe spirit calling. Well, yet again, I have more beef than Bridge Farm around two characters. The first one is Jill. What on earth has happened to Jill? I don't understand it because previously she was a warm and wise um, matriarch, admittedly within the confines of domesticity, but you could always rely on her to come up with something sensible and kind. And now she just seems to be portrayed as this bizarre, radicalised harpy. It's completely inconsistent. And how, how long has she been on the planet? 90 years. I find it hard to believe that she would suddenly develop a social conscience after all this time she lived through the 60s for heaven's sake and it would be really really nice just for a change every time she opens her mouth not to hear about the flipping Duxford sisters Eddie where can we begin with that man well I'm so pleased that Oliver chewed him out it's time that he was given a wake-up call and it's just it really stretches the bounds of credulity to think that every time the Grundies get into hot water that Clary would simply say, oh, Eddie, and that would be the end of it. It's just, no, I'm sorry, it just doesn't work. And the fact that Oliver has done it now for them, I think is a really good thing. In real life, any boyfriend partner would have sat Mr Grundy down before now and said, look, you're my husband, I love you, but you've got to stop behaving like a twat because we're just lurching from one crisis to the next and it's just not flipping acceptable.
So where do they go from here? Well, number one, they could lose their home. Number two, if Eddie continues to be as one one dimensional and just says, oh, it's all right and we'll sort it out and don't worry about anything. Well, I'm afraid, Mr. Grundy, time to grow up. Very, very brief thought before the two minutes are up. Witherspoon, do you think Eddie Grundy is a sociopath? Not an evil one, but a sociopath. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts. Anyway, that's it from me. Greetings to everyone in Dumpty Dum Land. I hope you're all well and hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Cheers now. Bye. Now, what's happened to Jill? She's become a social justice warrior. And is Eddie a sociopath? Over to you, Angela Barnes. I like what's happening to Jill. I mm-hmm. do. And people are saying it's unrealistic. She was this sort of cosy housewife who, uh, you know, just sort of happy and wise and warm. And, and now she's suddenly being radicalized in this way. And I <laughs> love, I'll tell you what, it reminds me of my darling mum. Mm-hmm. Right? My mum is uh, significantly younger than Jill. My mum's only 67. Mm-hmm. But she, um, you know, she worked full time and was an intelligent is an intelligent woman. And when she retired, um, she divorced her husband, moved out, bought a flat, and she's so angry after Brexit last year. She's so angry. She said to me, do you know what? I feel like my generation have let down the future. I'm so cross with people my age for doing this that she went out and she joined her local Amnesty International group. Now, my mum has never done any activism ever. Mm-hmm her life she joined her local amnesty she's now out every weekend out on amnesty stalls getting signatures she's working on a specific campaign for i can't remember the woman's name but a woman who's um imprisoned in iran who's got a british husband and her and her daughter have gone went to iran to visit family and have not been allowed back out my mum's doing a campaign specifically about that it's incredible this has all happened wow. in the last year Right, so people saying, "Oh, that why nobody becomes radicalised." That they they can. It can take one little thing, one issue. With my mum, I think it was Brexit. Just made her go, "Right, I can't sit at home anymore. I need to do something and be proactive and feel like I'm making a difference to the world." And I think that's what's happened to Jill, and I love it. And the thing is, as well, Jill always has been. She always has had this within her. It's been, it was a little bit hidden when she was with Phil. Yeah. But she did, whenever there was like Root B and all this other stuff, yeah, Jill's the- always been against it. She's never been a Linda Snell, you know, as no. vociferous as Linda, but she's always been on, you know, on slightly the lefty side of things. She, she always yeah. has been. She's never been quiet about her opinions either. She's always made it perfectly clear what she thinks about things. But I think you're right, though. I think um, this is good in that it's given a, a new lease of life, you know, just, just as a character, because I opined a few weeks ago that her and uh, Krusty uh, and the beekeeping was really all about Krusty. And Lucy put me put me right and said, no, 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 no. I think there's going to be some development of the character of Jill. This isn't just a plot device for the bees to be handed off to Krusty and then Jill can just wither away and die. There's still life left in the old dog yet. And she was absolutely right. It was great. You know, I did. Uh, I met Paddy Green recently. Mm-hmm. Um, You're such uh, a name dropper. I know I am. I but she was. I was absolutely starstruck by her. She was brilliant. I saw Paddy Green, who plays Jill Archer, and we did um, a panel in uh, this Brest- Bristol Festival of Ideas. It was called, and they had a panel about women in the Archers. 
and it was myself, Kerry Davies, Mary Cutler, and Paddy. Would that have been at the M Shed? Uh, no, it was at the oh god, what's the name of the place? It's down by the river, um, the Eye Centre or something. The... Okay, that's but... where um, Auntie Jean came along. That's where Auntie Jean came along, and oh gosh, I've forgotten her name, Lucy. Not Lucy. Who do I mean? Louise. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Louise Lampard. <laughs> oh, sorry, Louise. I completely had a mind fart then. So I got to to meet her before we did the panel thing, and she's just just so funny really dry really sharply funny and really like there's definitely a bit of her in Jill Archer that spikiness I think she's one of those women who is very warm and kind and has that lovely friendly voice that tricks you but actually there's a brilliant spikiness behind it I I love it now you dealt with Jill so we agree we we agree that it's all right for Jill to become some radical lefty to become swampy Jill but I am on Comrade Jill's side. Good. Eddie, is he a sociopath? Is he just incapable of actually being truthful? I, I, I don't know. Sociopath's a strong word, isn't it? I think he's immensely thoughtless. I don't think he has much in the way of empathy for anybody, not even his own family. You know, because he wouldn't put... Cla- I mean, Clary is the Melania Trump of Ambridge, isn't she? Just constantly <laughs> having to stand by while her husband's an idiot to everybody. Um, sociopath, though, I don't know. I think he's just clueless. I think he's been brought up. That's his way of life, is to wheel and deal and just get by. You know, and, and I don't think a leopard changes its spots. I think that's the way he'll always be. And it'll always be someone else's fault, really. You know, it'll never be his fault. He'll never hold up his hands and go, do you know what? I shouldn't have done that. It'll be Oliver's fault for coming home early. <laughs> you know, or <laughs> it's always someone else's fault. And I, I really love the Grundies. I do as a, you know, they, they are such important characters in the village. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen to them now. I don't because they have made themselves, if they do leave Grange Farm, then they are voluntarily homeless and, Who's going to house them? You know, are they going to end up in Woodbine? Who knows? They can't afford it. They can't afford it. No, no, no. And it'd be way too small. Yeah, yeah. It's too small for Fallon and um, and Harrisman. It's going to be too small for Eddie, Joe, and uh... And all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Watch them to Emma and uh, Ed. I don't know if they'll get their own place at last. It's um, yeah, all that over a bit of B and B. You know what? There was a perfect segue to be had right. when you talked about housing policy you know making yourself voluntarily homeless shall we say yeah. uh, so let's do that segue it's Claire Asprey now Hi Dumpty Dum, it's Claire from Clapham here. A couple of things to touch on this week. Firstly, very briefly, um, I was really chuffed with Ruth at the uh, Aldridge family business meeting and I think definitely went the right way with that. Tom would have not stood a chance at standing up to Brian. He would have folded, he would have been useless. So well done Ruth, big up the lady farmers. Uh, um, But mainly I wanted to talk about the Grundy's Grage Farm uh, and this impending sense of doom that Clary has rightly had 
um, about how they're conducting themselves. I was just beside myself for Clary today, Friday, and um, I just really felt for them. And in fact, like last week, I think when they found out that Carolina died and they went to tell Will and, and um, Eddie had started to pontificate on whether uh, they would want the farm back and whether Oliver would want the farm back and all those, oh, it's not the time and you got all uppity and then Eddie apologised. I thought, you shouldn't have to apologise for that because you guys were homeless and there is literally nowhere else for you. You have every right to immediately worry about your personal living situation. Um, and that's exactly where they are, not just because Eddie's an idiot and took him paying guests, but in general, they're now in an incredibly vulnerable position. And of course, Emma's known that for ages. It's why she wanted to save up for a deposit. Well done, Emma. Um, I do worry about what happened to the Grundies because it was too good to be true in some ways that the uh, Ambridge Ferry granted them going to farm. Uh, and I do hope that something sorts itself out. You know, you've got a probably two year lead in for Oliver's, um, for Justin's new housing development. So they're going to have to wait a bit too long for that, I think. Uh, and in the meantime, what are they going to do? I don't know. Uh, look forward to seeing how that one unravels again and uh, testing all my homelessness legislation knowledge. In real life, Village Housing News, as chair of the local neighbourhood plan, I took our policies to the Village Parish Council this week and it went all right. So uh, that's all good. We go to consultation in the autumn. I'll keep you posted. Claire is some big cheese in the housing association industry within the UK. Yeah. yeah so she's like big, proper big. Like So she knows all about this, this housing stuff. But right. if we just slightly move on from that, right, talk about another household as opposed to housing. Yeah. The Aldridges and their, yeah. their, their family meeting. What do you reckon to Ruth? I mean, Ruth's suddenly grown a pair, hasn't she? Where did they come from? <laughs> we don't see that very often, do we? Well, she's never really liked Brian, has she? No, that's true. That's and and that's what I really him. liked about this. Exactly. She doesn't trust him. You know, she sees him as a big businessman who puts the interests of capital first, as opposed to the custodianship of the land of actually being a farmer. So she's always been very distrustful. So the way that she waltzed in there, right, and waltzed out, I just thought, you know what, have more of this and actually you'll become a beloved character, Ruth. Yeah. I love it. You like her and I don't very much. So Nobody does, you know, as as a character. No, she's so whiny usually. And so, but that, you know, when she said to him, made it very clear, oh, no, Brian, I wasn't siding with you. That was brilliant. It was like, just make, because I think, there's a reason he's gone with Ruth. He thinks she's a soft target. There's a reason that he phoned her beforehand. There's a reason he reason he collared her at the door and she was going in and she was having none of it. So, yeah, yeah she's a perfect advocate for Rory. He's an antagonist for his father. Perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, um, shall we do the Sussex Shepherd now? Let's do that. Good evening, Dumpty Dum and all fellow Dumpty Dummers. It's the Sussex Shepherd here. Um... I'm slightly concerned I might have missed the boat this week as uh, it is now Monday evening and I've only just got round to listening to yesterday's omnibus. But I had to call in simply because I thought last week's uh, Archers was brilliant. Um, I really enjoyed a lot of things about last week. I thought they handled things really well, particularly the death of uh, Caroline. Um, obviously, everybody knows that uh, Sarah Coward died uh, and so... Interesting to see how they were going to handle the death of of um, Caroline, and I thought they 
they did a good job because we sort of um, not heard a lot about Italy recently. We'd not heard a lot about what Oliver and Caroline were doing. And so it actually did come as a, as a bit of a shock to us. And I thought that the reactions of other people, interestingly, particularly Will, were interesting, just the little ways it affects things. So, you know, who'd have thought that Caroline's death would affect what happens in the cricket team? Um, so I thought that was really nicely done um, and, and really quite true to life. And then on the other end of the scale, um, the latest with the Duxford sisters, I have to say, made my week. Um, the idea that they're calling their restaurant Les Sœurs Heureux, um, as uh, some people may know, um, if you were a big fan, as I am, of uh, Fraser, Niles and Fraser opened um, a restaurant in uh, in Fraser called Les Frères Heureux, simply because it was hard enough to pronounce to keep the riffraff away, which made me laugh when I heard Les Sœurs Heureux, and uh, the Duxford sisters then going on being described as uh, not afraid to blow their own trumpet. Um, so I'm convinced that was a deliberate reference to Fraser, so I love that. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, a good week, I think, for the Archers, and um, looking forward to hearing what other people thought. Speak to you all soon. Bye. Now, he actually called to try and get onto last week's show, but he called a little bit too late. So this is about the death of Caroline, which we all said last week was, was, was very well done. But is the Archers getting somewhat meta? With We've, we've had Hilda Rogdon, Corrie, and then <laughs> the name of the same restaurant that uh, Fraser and Niles were, gonna, were due to open in Fraser. What do you reckon? Well does wonder whether the script writers if that's a deliberate choice there or whether it was just the name was in their subconscious somewhere you know and they who knows i'd like to see the archers get a bit meta oh me too me too what other shows could they uh have reference to in the archers what do you reckon do you know what i've been watching recently and i love and i'm only three episodes in so no spoilers but i love glow have you been watching glow oh glamorous ladies of wrestling ah Let's have a bit of that in the arches. <laughs> okay. Get Linda and Lillian in a bit of spandex. <laughs> oh. Oh, that show has so much heart. It is a watered-down version of Orange is, 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 Orange is the New Black. You know, it it yeah. is the, the same genus, so to speak, but it's lovely. And the main character, who is the, you know, the wannabe actor who just doesn't get any roles and you know she tries to take all her, her acting you know classic action chops into it oh just i love her great character but mark maron's brilliant too he's a yeah. sleazeball with a little hint of clever genius but yeah, just I like to act that much <laughs> <laughs> so, so everybody says he's just completely and utterly plain plain himself isn't he yeah yeah it's great it's so good i'm only a couple of episodes in so i'm that's my plan uh, for the rest of this week before I get to Edinburgh is to finish watching Glow. Mm. Well, I'll tell you what you should also do before you get up to Edinburgh. Go watch yeah. Dunkirk. Yes, I will. I will, definitely. I saw the trailer for it when I went to see... What did I watch last Oh, I watched Baby Driver last week and I went to see... Uh, and I saw the trailer and it looks immense. It is, it is. It's an utter tour de force of cinema cinema making i was going to say cinematography it is of cinematography but it's the combination of sound with space um and so much of it is actually unscripted you know it's it's a silent film of which there literally is no silence yeah you know the 
the way that sound is used to jar and to create um, instability and trepidation and suspense. Well, suspense is the wrong word. Fear. Mm. It's fear. I, I have a friend who saw it. And she said that she felt like had a real visceral reaction to it. Said it, it was really while watching it, she really felt physically uncomfortable. You really are one of these 400,000 allied uh, soldiers on the beach. You, you wow. really are. The, the point of view of the way that it's actually shot, it isn't all POV stuff, but there's a lot of it. So, yeah, you're, 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 you're getting drowned. You are getting... <laughs> you are in the Spitfire. You are on the little tugboat. It's just brilliant. I nearly, 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 nearly stood up and clapped wow. at the end. But it did give me pause for thought. And I go on about Brexit way too much. So I'm glad that you mentioned Brexit first. Because I know that you know, there's 52% of people listening to this podcast. I'd like skipping forward now. Like, oh, Brexit. Yeah. <laughs> we, we know where those bloody bleeding heart liberals stand on this. Right. But I do think, though, because right, I'm a history bore. And I did sit down and think about this afterwards. And then I'll just move off, folks. I'm not going to dwell too much on this. Those troops were rescued. And it is an utter... It's a triumph over adversity that they were rescued. And it's 400,000, of which 100,000 were French. And there were some Canadians and some Dutch, etc., etc. You know, us Brits, because we're British, focused just on the British troops. And it was really interesting that throughout that film, there was the tension between the French and the British, because the British got off first. Right. Yeah, the, the British Admiralty says, we're getting the British troops off first. And so, and, and you saw that. So, so there is... There's a myth of Dunkirk, but then there was the reality that actually our main ally, who we were running out on, basically said, "What the hell? What the fuck?" Right? And why didn't you get us off as well? And we said, "No, we're getting, we're helping ourselves out first. But putting that completely to one side, I think there's a reason why we are the most Eurosceptic country in the EU, or or we were, you know, yeah. whatever our status is. And it isn't just because of the English Channel that divides us. It's because Europe was completely and utterly devastated through that war and occupied. And I'm not saying the Germans should have come and occupied the UK. I'm not saying that. Abs- I'm not saying that they at all. <laughs> well, they, they, they had a little. They had a little bit with, with Guernsey and Jersey. You know, they yeah. did occupy those those bits, yeah. which technically aren't part of the UK, but, uh, you know, crown dependencies. But I digress. If those troops had not got got away, I think our attitude to Europe would have been completely and utterly different if they'd have been held as prisoners of wars, a prisoner of war. We, we would have had a much more visceral connection to uh, to the war and to setting up institutions so wars don't happen again yeah. in the way that the French, the Germans, the Italians, the Dutch, the Belgians, etc., etc., it's on and on and on. And it's this whole thing about, about Brexit that people don't realise that the EU is in part a bulwark against war. That, yeah. you know, countries that trade together 
are more harmonious and actually don't fight and we can and we are regressing and it's just really interesting watching that because you can completely view dunkirk that movie that great movie as people who are brexiteers would say there you go it's us against the world right you can completely take out of it whatever you want whatever your view is to do with the eu you can say there you go plucky britain we did it we are an island we're different but, but it was in a situation of war. But anyway, moving swiftly on, because I said I wasn't going to be talk too much about Brexit. <laughs> I'm on the wrong podcast. I, I mean, love you... a Royal Crown history lesson. You ignore the haters. I love it. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you, dear. Um, <laughs> um, Abby from Brighton. Hi, Lucy, Royfield or Robert, Millie Bell or Yokel Bear and Dumpty Dummers around the world. This is Abby from Brighton at Much Ado Ambridge on the Twitters. I've already, to a small degree, expressed on Twitter my huge frustration with the ridiculousness of the Woodbine Cottage storyline, specifically how ridiculously circular it is, but that hasn't been enough for me, so I thought I'd phone up and moan about it to all of you as well. The only reason that Fallon and Carpet are wanting to buy a place together is because Woodbine Cottage is too small. The whole conversation started because Carpet was tripping over Fallon's shabby chic crap and she was complaining about his weights being all over the place. The only reason that Auntie Cardboard has now decided to sell Woodbine is because they've decided to leave it and she doesn't want the hassle of new tenants. Now, for some reason, they're desperately doing sums to see if they can afford to buy it, and Fallon's getting grumpy and stressed because she thinks they can't. How is it suddenly suitable for them? Has it done a Brookfield and grown in size? If it's now perfectly okay to live in, why don't they just tell Cardboard that they want to stay for a bit while Fallon saves her for her precious half of the deposit and they find a place they actually like? Of course, all of this is really just a ploy so that Christine has some ready cash to invest in and inevitably get jointly shafted by Matt and Hugo Smelly. But I do wish that this could have been done in a different way instead of like a dog chasing its tail round and round like the new puppy Ruby. I do hope I'm wrong about this because no one wants to hear a geriatric threesome. Anyway, that's all from me. Moan over. Hope everyone's well. Cheery bye. The Woodbine Cottage conundrum, has it got bigger? Now, we have talked a little bit about Woodbine, haven't we? Yeah, we have, but this she makes this interesting point that I'd sort of forgotten. Yes. The reason they wanted to move was because it was too small. He was tripping over her vintage stuff, and, and of course now they can't afford it. But, I mean, but it'd be perfect for them if they could. But it'd be perfect for them if they could. And also, Christine is only selling it because she doesn't want the hassle of having to find someone else to rent it out to. So Abby's absolutely right. All they need to do is say to Christine... Well, look, can we rent? We can't afford to buy it, but can we keep renting it until we've saved a deposit to buy somewhere we can afford, and then you sell it? And she would probably be fine with that mm. because they're no trouble to her, are they? No, absolutely not. And she said as such, didn't she? And actually, they don't bother her when things kind of break and, and go up the fritz. First off, there was something. Wasn't it something to do with the water point, or something? Ages for that to be sorted. I would have been knocking on my landlord's front door if they hadn't sorted that out within 24 hours. Mm. 
no okay. they're, they're, they're very they're very understanding and and as you rightly said you know being a landlord per se is not exactly the hardest job in the world you basically just count cash don't you it's uh you yeah. know we can get we can get very cold marks about this and say that yeah. you know all property is theft but i'm not going to go down that road because we're we're, <laughs> we're a lovely podcast um shall we take a little short sojourn lovely this mother's day celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from blue nile whether it's for your mom a mother figure or yourself as a mom find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation explore blue nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, I'm Lucy, and this is Walkie Talkie. I walk my dog, Basil, uh, pretty much every day in a foresty bit of London. Um, I have been doing so for about four years and I meet people that, as a dog walker, you talk to people. Um, If your dogs get on, you tend to just, you say, which way are you going, can I come with you? And you just sort of amble along and you can end up having the most extraordinary conversations. Partly because Uh, You are walking side by side and facing front, so there's no embarrassing eye contact. If things get a bit heavy, if someone starts talking about something that they find emotional or difficult, then you can always divert your attention onto the dogs and relieve the tension a little bit. We've seen, as a group of dog walkers, we've seen um, people get pregnant, have children. We've seen people whose dogs have become ill and died and the owner says oh I can never have another one and then in a couple of months time they appear with a puppy and everyone's delighted to see them and um, we've seen people's marriages break down new romances start it's a lovely way to start your morning it never fails to give me something something nice to think about something interesting to think about even if it's not nice and having a dog is a sort of a the universality really the people aren't all like me as i hope you'll realize over the course of the series
leading up to the 1860 election, in walks a gentleman by the name of Abraham Lincoln, who is the Republican candidate. The Republicans to the South represent the ending of slavery. And Lincoln, despite the fact that his sentiment was always in the beginning to preserve the Union rather than to abolish slavery, becomes the lightning rod of anti-Southern sentiment. And he ends up winning the election in 1860 with no support from the South. The Guardian, Manchester, Tuesday, November 20th, 1860. Summary of news, foreign. The details respecting the presidential election furnished by the New York journalist, not complete, but they not only assure us of Mr. Lincoln's election, but show that the Republican Party has obtained far more than the requisite number of votes for his return. It is calculated that New York, Pennsylvania, the New England states, New Jersey, and the Northwestern states give him 171 electoral votes, or 19 more than the majority required for the election, the total number of electoral votes being 303. It is not improbable, too, that this majority may be further swelled by the result of the elections in the Pacific states of Oregon and California. We have no account of the manner in which the Southerners have received the intelligence of Mr. Lincoln's election. The next advices will no doubt be filled with fierce Southern declamations and protest, but it is not very likely that any Southern states will do anything mere than talk loudly about succession. Listen to the first show exclusively on Mixcloud today and subscribe to us on iTunes from Washington to Obama. 10 American Presidents, the new podcast from Royfield Brown. Hello, Dumb to Dumb, it's Yokel Bear here calling with the social media roundup for the week. Um, on the Facebook page... We have, um, the week has been bookended by the Grundies. I asked the question at the beginning of the week of why does Clary always go along with Eddie's plans when she knows that it's going to go wrong? Gillian Ford says, Clary is perfectly aware of what Eddie is like and continues to enable him. Despite all the moans and tears, she doesn't put her foot down enough and knows that he will do as he pleases. Yeah, I think that's the thing with Eddie. He's Eddie's going to do what Eddie's going to do, no matter what anybody thinks. Um, and actually, Karen Cunningham's getting a bit fed up with Eddie. She said that she wishes Clary would kick Eddie directly in the nuts. Though, obviously, putting the proviso that she reserves condoning violence for fictional characters only. Um, yeah, I'm not sure whether I'd kick him in the nuts, but he certainly needs a good talking to. And by the end of the week, I think he got it. Um, because, of course, Oliver came back day early, didn't he? Um, so I asked, what, what, you know, what do people think of this? Um, Diane Telford said, I was delighted. Eddie and Joe had behaved dreadfully. About time someone put them straight. And Abby Pattenden said, also said, I absolutely loved it. Eddie especially has deserved a proper telling off for years. Oliver's anger is both understandable and realistic. Yeah, I think Oliver's got every right um, to do that. Though, to be honest with you, if that vase was worth so much... 
um, either money-wise or sentimentally, I wouldn't have left it in the house with the Grundies. But hey-ho. Um, Liz Brown agreed as well. Quite honestly, the Grundies deserve that outburst. They've treated Oliver and Caroline outrageously. Yeah, well, they have, haven't they, really? I think I think most people have said, most people agreed that, you know, that actually the Grundies may have gone a little bit too far. We also spoke a little bit about Rex and Anisha. How do we feel about them hooking up? Do we reckon it would blast? And where the hell's Toby got to? Um, well, um, Anna Kenyon said they've been desperate for um, a new love interest now that Fallon has paired off with the horrible creepy stalker Harrison Carpet Burns um, and also she says that they re- Tom has realised that he's too, too annoying to be in a relationship with anything that isn't fermenting um, she also said she misses Jazz for being in love with Fallon and that was great and genuinely moving and I th- uh, yeah I remember that plot line and I think that was that was lovely uh, it was such a shame that you know, Fallon didn't get together with Jazza. Um, Cat Wern says, though, I really don't get Anisha. She was so great when she arrived. She and Rex were going to have a nice relationship, being decent people. Um, and then she turns around and goes, Sorry, I don't want to count that kind of thing. Yeah, she kind of changed a little bit, I think. Um, and as to where Toby is, um, Andrew Faith said, Toby has disappeared up his own ass. And I'm not really sure about, he's not really sure about Rex and Nisha. Um, fragments of Harrisment and Fallon, maybe. Um, though Louise Norton has got a theory. Toby, possibly in Brighton, back with the mystery girl. Possibly the mystery baby we spent hours deliberating about last year. Yeah, I think that might be um, that might be the case. Maybe he's going to come back with a baby in tow. Who knows? Also, the most popular post on the Facebook page was when I said, I'm just going to say it, Eco Jill is getting on my nerves. Um, I think a lot of people um, agreed with this. And also Cosmo, um, I reposted something from Cosmo with loads of good points about this kind of whole plot line about the restaurants and stuff like that. Um, But on Jill, Janice uh, Pope says... I respect the cause and a decision to pursue it, but don't like the way she's doing it. That um, whole snooty comment was out of order about um, uh, that she made to Ruth about having more important things to do than filling the um, the, the cake tin. Um, yeah, I kind of get that, and maybe maybe this is Jill striking out, but I just don't like the way she's doing it. Uh, Alice Andrew said she is worse than normal Jill, which I thought was absolutely impossible. Um, Glimful of Love, rather downbeatly, says perhaps we're about to witness her demise um, on, quote, active service. Who knows? Um, there's also a couple of great things on the, uh, the forum about um, whether Freddie and Phoebe are good enough uh, strawberry pickers and other stuff as well. But I'm almost out of time, so I've got to go really quickly. OK, then. See you then. Bye. Thank you for that, Yokel Bear. Um, Glyn, there is going to be no demise of our Paddy, is there, Angela? There is, sure Jill is not, not going anywhere. No, Jill forever. <laughs> I like that, though. Her demise, you know, whilst on active service. What's that, you know, baking cakes with a WI? <laughs> That's all she's good for, Royfield. You know it, I know it, we all know it. <laughs> um, I, do, I, I do want to say, though, Yokel Bear... I, I love his voice. And I think he should make a recording of bedtime stories. I'd totally download that. I tell you what, right. 
Have you ever seen a picture of our yokel bear? No, I don't think I have. Well, go on to the social media. Are you, are you a fan of Game of Thrones? I've never watched an episode of Game of Thrones. Oh, I'm God. Sure. So this conversation is going nowhere fast. But I'm <laughs> just gonna I'm just going to plough on regardless. Right. <laughs> so there is a character on Game of Thrones called uh, Varys. Right. And he is a, a eunuch. I'm not saying that, that Yoko Bear is. <laughs> <laughs> but he plays this very wise uh, counsellor to, to the king. No, actually to Daenerys, to the queen. And he's just brilliant. He's all-knowing, all-seeing. But when you see him, yeah, he looks like, exactly like Yokel Bear. Oh, really? Yeah, kind of like, you know, a solid solid man, bald head. i tell you what, it's Yokel Bear, just minus the glasses that Yokel Bear know, wears. I feel a bit, though, about Yokel Bear like I do about Archer's characters in that this part of me doesn't want to see what he really looks like because I've got such a fixed picture in my head of our Yokel Bear. Oh, have I just ruined it for you? Huh? Have I just ruined it for you by saying he's... he's... No, I don't know what the other guy looks like either, so so it's fine, because I've never seen Game of Thrones. But I've got such a picture in my head of Yoko Bear, and I just love his voice. Okay. He does have somewhat of a special voice, and yeah. he's a lovely person. And thank you for your continued devotion and service, active service for doing our social media roundup, sir. So we, we salute yeah. you. We salute you. Now, we need to start uh, winding things up, Mrs. Okie dokie. In red. Oh, yes, I see. I'm getting the hang of this now, Roy. It's going to be fine. (laughs) So, Lucy is having a Dumpty Dum quiz on September the 8th. Uh, Derek Fletcher will be there with his unfeasibly large equipment, as will Parvel and possibly some special guests. It's in aid of refuge and will take place at the Rose and Crown, which is in Walthamstow on the Victoria Line, and starts at 7pm. It does very good real ale. I can vouch for that. I've performed in that very space and it has lovely beer. And the quiz will veer between the ludicrous and the serious. You can book up via Eventbrite. And if you look at our Twitter feed, clever old Yokel Bear has made it the pinned tweet. If any of you are hanging around Tadcaster in Yorkshire and fancy a dum dum meetup, Zoe is organising one at the end of July. The action will happen at Everything Good Goes from 6pm on Friday the 29th of July. Get in contact with her via the forum to have a rocking Tadcaster Friday. Now, folks, I need to cajole you. dum dum Um, If I generally say go onto the forum and... Uh, interact you do do that but what i need you to do is don't just do it for a week we need a solid three weeks and i'll tell you the reason why there are a lot of people who have signed up to that forum and it just about gets just about enough love and attention that every other day that there's a new message on there but if we just put our backs into it for the next two weeks and we all post and reply to people that have posted it will kind of get critical mass and it will absolutely take off do not worry, folks, if you see some dodgy Russian Cyrillic text posts on there. This is not the same Azerbaijani hacking that we had before. Uh, it's completely different in scale. What they did before was to attack the site uh, through a security hole to actually pull the whole thing down. This is kind of low-level, technically kind of low-level um, um, hackery in that quite simply what they're doing is signing up as anybody can and then just posting links so do if you see see these uh see those posts please alert us 
and we will take them off but don't think that it's going to infect your computer or do do anything dodgy you know this is not the same as what happened before so as i said if you see those posts ignore them just as our fat friend said who said go off and bother trump you russians which i thought was was a great post so thank you thank you for that but come on let's put our back into the forum on dumbydum.com don't forget we've also got a shop there and also there is um tractor you can go onto tractor and you can kind of post your location and again do not worry we're not asking you to put your address on there or anything like that because your general location i live in this town or that village or in this city and then other dum dum fans can then contact you through social media and say, hey, let's have a coffee and a meetup or something or another. Now, you said, Angela Barnes, that you like it when I uh, witcher on about history. I do. Is it, are we, you're going to talk about maps now, aren't you? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I'm sorry, Lucy. I know Lucy's great to you, but I, I, he's fascinating. Aww. Can you come on every week, please? <laughs> I think listeners might have something to say about that, Royfield. No. I'm expecting letters. Don't, don't, don't be silly. Don't be silly. Now, Bernadette Maguire, Bernie Mag, who lives in Madrid, sent me through somewhat apt, considering what we said about um, Brexit and and Dunkirk. It's a map of the average number of languages spoken by the EU population. Well, that's With embarrassing, that... isn't it? I've just looked at it. Well, hmm, yes. All right, so the, the countries uh, which are the least polyliterate, shall we say, um, are so obvious, uh, Britain. Yeah. Though, funnily enough, actually, the worst is actually Hungary. So it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we speak, on average, 1.6 other languages. Hungary's 1.5. I wonder if that's to do with our immigration policy being very different to Hungary's. So we have a bit more... A few more languages being spoken. I, I, I think so. I think that's exactly it. That I think Hungary is purely uh, the monoglots there. That there are yeah. no other minorities in Hungary. I think on the Austrian border there are a few German speakers. But right. Hungary, up until the First World War, was a much larger country. So what is now modern-day Slovakia, what is now Croatia... Uh, northern Serbia and Transylvania in Romania were actually part of the Kingdom of Hungary. So there are Hungarian speakers still scattered in all of those other countries, but in Hungary itself, it's pure Hungarians, yeah. ethnically speaking. Um, which country do you think is the top and why, in terms of they are the most uh, polyglot? Well, the problem is, Roy, that I am looking at the map. I know, I know. Just pretend However, that you're not. Lucy and I had the same issue a few weeks ago. <laughs> however although i'm looking at the map and i can see which country is mm -hmm. my geography is so bad that i can't wait is it now it's scandinavia and mm. is that the highest? Sc scandinavia is not a country it's a region no no but i mean yeah so i know this country's part of that region and i always get mixed up which is which so does it go denmark sweden norway right you, you couldn't be more wrong here Right. Right, you're, you're all over, you're all over the map. You're even looking at the map, and you're all over the map. Right? It's <laughs> actually Luxembourg at three point oh, six. Oh, right in the middle. No, I didn't see. Oh, and actually, there's also is that uh, Belgium or no, Belgium is two point six. Which you'd have thought Belgium would have been more because 
they're Flemish and, and, and French. So that's yeah. Dutch and French for a start off. So they got two yeah. slap bangs straight away. Um, anyway, it, it's good old Luxembourg. The cockpit. No, it's not, though. Look, there's a 3.2. No, there's a 3.6. Luxembourg oh, is 3.6. The 3.2 is Holland. Oh, do you know what it is? No, there's, I'm looking at. No, I still can't find Luxembourg. That's right. 3.0. Okay, no, no, no. Right. Expand it so it gets bigger. Yeah. And you will see, right? 1.8 France. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. To the northeast of that is a tiny little blue slither, 3.6. It's tiny. Uh, then yes, above God, that is 2.6. Hey, my God, my geography is really bad, isn't it? And your eyes, love. It's an, oh, less your geography, more your eyes. <laughs> 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 yes, no, I see it now. All right, Wilson, I'll let you have All that. Right. We've spent way too long on this, considering. Sorry. <laughs> but thank you, Bernie, for that. Um, our map, my map of the week, is uh, by Quentin NZ, who's down there in New Zealand. Um, it's the visionofhumanity.org indexes and what they do um it's maps about peace and cooperation and in this time of global instability when everyone's running around with their hair on fire um what they do is absolutely brilliant because they say without peace we are we will be unable sorry to achieve levels of cooperation inclusiveness and social equity required to begin solving the challenges that the world throws at us we need peace we need calm we need equity we need balance and so it's absolutely fascinating indexes there so normally these maps uh which i say map of the week is just a little bit of fun and it's kind of silly place names but that this one there's a deep um meaning behind it and um and, it, and it's, it's a great course so it's a visions of humanity.org go there look at their indexes Britain is not as peaceful and as tranquil as you'd like to think in terms of a bit of a turn up. Out of 180 odd countries that are listed, we're 41, I think. So, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, really bloody interesting. Anyway, another thing I need to break you about, folks, is going onto iTunes and writing reviews. Um, we are actually, guess what, Angela? Yeah. We yeah. are on new and noteworthy on iTunes. Ooh. Yeah, but that's exciting. It, it I is. like how this is the first time I've I've co-hosted, and I'm I'm enjoying taking some credit for that when it's absolutely not justified. <laughs> you're part you're part of the community. I am part of the whole. You've been of- on at least one, if not two, shows before. I, I think you've called her in a red. I do you know what? I've never called her in a red, but I have done a dumpty dum with Lazy Auntie Mary. Team. What a lazy Mary! I thought you had. I know. I don't think I have. You know what? Oh, yeah. You're right to say you're taking credit for something which you haven't earned. Yeah, I'm a I'm a terrible dumpy dumber. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're, you're hardly terrible. You're an important part of the community, and you, dear listener, as a member of the community, if you haven't done so already, please go onto iTunes or um, another podcasting service and write us a review. If you think we're crap, just say you think we're crap. If you think we can do better, say that. I'm not saying go on there and say it's all positive if you don't think that it is, but please go on, write us a review. The reasons why this is so important is because the more reviews we get, the further up the iTunes charts we go and more people get to listen to the show. Now, Angela Barnes. So, if you'd like to help keep our little show on the road, there are two ways this can be done. You can donate by hitting the donate button on the site or you can sponsor us via patreon.com. 
Or if you work for a company with lots of moolah who wants to reach 35,000 bloody, marvellous, intelligent and generally spiffing people worldwide, then give us the contact details of your marketing person and we will harass them into sponsoring us. Hurrah! And we've got to say thank you to ADT who uh, sponsored us just for a couple of weeks uh, and you heard that great little ad at the start of the show. So thank you for ADT. So um, if you're in the market, dear listener, for um, a fire alarm, a burglar alarm, any kind of alarm for your domestic abode, um, why don't you kind of like go onto their website and tell them that Dumbly Dum sent you. To get in contact with us, you can send us a voice message via SpeakPipe on our website, or you can call us on 0203031305 to leave us a message on a telephone, just like people used to do in the old days, as I'm sure Angela wanted to say, or like Abby from <laughs> Brighton did this week. On social media, you can find Dum Dum, where we're at Dum Dum. I can be found where I'm at Royfield, and Angela is at Angela Barnes. Um, on the book of face, go there, type in dum de dum and just go have fun. What more can okay. be said about that? And that's just about it for the formal Archer's dum de dum roundup of things. Uh, Angela Barnes, now is your time to tell us what you're up to in Edinburgh and where people can catch up with your wonderful show. Ah, lovely. Well, I'm taking my new show. It's called Fortitude and it will be at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. If you're coming along, please, please, please do come along and see the show. And if you're a dumpty dumber, let me know you're coming along and we'll have a chat afterwards. Uh, the show is on at 7.15 from the 2nd to the 27th of August, except for the 14th of August because I'm having a night off. And it is at the Pleasance Courtyard and you can buy tickets from edfringe.com. Ooh. Right. Yeah. How many how many years have you been out to Edinburgh now? This is my third solo show, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm my first Edinburgh Fringe I did when I was a student when I was eighteen in ninety five. Crumbs. So, You're a proper yeah, veteran. Hand. Yeah, absolutely. I How's love- it changed in that time? It's changed a lot. Well, it's changed a lot. When I used to go up when I was younger, it was just a bit of fun mucking about with friends, you know, being annoying sort of uh, drama students. But now it's um, it's a bit more of a it's kind of a trade fair really if you're a comedian now it's your chance to go and show people what you've got so um taking my new show up there but uh yeah things are it's quite an exciting year Royfield. i've just been told i've got a second series of my radio four series so that's steady yeah so um look out for that i'll be on next year it's called you can't take it with you and Mm -hmm. i'll be back with news jack in the autumn on radio four extra and a bit of mock the week in september again as well so yeah, I'm getting about. And you still find time to do Dumpty Dum? I will always find time to do Dumpty Dum. It's, I love it. Oh, stop it, you lovely person, you. Anything else that you need, you want to plug or say before oh, we say Toodle Pip? Just thank you for having me. This has been lovely. I've really enjoyed myself. Cheers, Royce. What do you mean you're coming back on next week? Oh, yeah, I am, aren't I? (laughs) (laughs) Next week, expect me to have a little bit more panic in my voice. You'll be able to hear it because it'll be the day before my uh, show starts. So I'll be be coming to you from Old Reiki next week. Well, we'll look forward to that. Toodle pip you. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.